Hello, and welcome to the Proskauer Benefits Brief. I'm Tyler Forney, an associate in Proskauer's Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Group, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Paul Hamburger, co-chair of our group. In this 10-part series of podcasts, we will explore the basic COBRA rules applicable to group health plans. In this podcast, we will explore some of the key COBRA rules to bear in mind in the merger and acquisition context. Paul, I think most people understand that, in any M&A transaction, COBRA issues need to be addressed. But before you explain the specifics, maybe you can set the framework for the analysis. Can you give us an overview of the applicable rules? Sure, no problem. Uh, the IRS COBRA regulations really establish some baseline rules for how to address COBRA in the context of business transactions. As I'm going to explain in a minute or two, the regulations distinguish between how COBRA applies to stock sales and asset sales. Another key point to bear in mind is that if the selling party or group maintains a group health plan after the deal is done, that seller could continue to have the legal obligations to make COBRA coverage available to its existing qualified beneficiaries and even potentially qualified beneficiaries who incur qualifying events due to the transaction. If there is no group health plan back at the seller group after the transaction, Advisors are going to have to look carefully in the regulations to determine how to allocate the liability for COBRA coverage for all of the affected qualified beneficiaries. One last point to bear in mind. The IRS rules on M&A transactions are default rules. They explain what happens if the parties do not contractually work around the rules or fail to fulfill their COBRA obligations. The parties are still free to negotiate over how COBRA-qualified beneficiaries will be protected in a way that really makes sense for the deal. So with that as a background, what's the difference from a COBRA perspective between a stock sale and an asset sale? Well, there are two types of transactions that are fundamentally different from a COBRA perspective. A stock sale means that the stock of an entity is sold or transferred to a separate unrelated employer. If there's a stock sale, all that happens is that after the deal, the company we're talking about is now owned by a new shareholder. So from the employee's perspective, it isn't a termination of employment and no COBRA event occurred. By contrast, an asset sale is any transfer, not just a sale, but any transfer of substantial assets, such as a plant or a division, or substantially all the assets of a trade or business. It could even include a transfer of assets in a bankruptcy context. Now, if there is an asset sale or transfer, that transaction is a qualifying event for COBRA purposes. It's as if those employees who transferred to the buyer terminated their employment with the seller and were immediately employed by the buyer. That's why you need to look at the rules very carefully in the deal context to make sure you understand how the deal is going to work and then how it plays out on the regs. One thing to bear in mind on top of all that is you need to also bear in mind how many plans are involved. Does the seller have one group health plan covering the entire entity? Or are there separate group health plans for each of the entities, including the one being sold? So employees of the sold entity don't need to get COBRA qualifying event notices due to the sale of the stock of the employer, but they would if the deal is an asset deal. But what about existing qualified beneficiaries? Which entity is responsible for making sure they continue to have their COBRA coverage available? Great point. This is why understanding the number of plans and which plans covers who is so important. For example, the selling entity might have one group health plan for all of the businesses at the seller. 
So when they sell one of those entities, the existing qualified beneficiaries who were there before the deal would simply continue to have their COBRA coverage available under the seller's plan. What's trickier is if there are multiple plans at the seller and the sold entity and the qualified beneficiaries related to the sold entity aren't going to have coverage under that plan anymore. Careful planning is needed to make sure those types of individuals don't fall through the cracks. The IRS regulations have a number of very specific examples and illustrations of how the rules apply in various types of transactions. So anyone who's working on a deal really should walk through those regulations carefully, identify which example applies, and then work with the rules accordingly. Apart from the IRS regulations, do you have any practical tips for our listeners to follow when dealing with COBRA in the deal context? Absolutely. Several important things to bear in mind. First, when it comes to due diligence, make sure to get a list of all the group health plans maintained by the seller that are subject to COBRA. Also, make sure there's a COBRA compliance program in place or that there is evidence of COBRA compliance. Remember, there's a stiff excise tax imposed on COBRA violations, and the buyer might be buying into that exposure. In that regard, a due diligence look would also ask for any prior excise tax filings and some representation as to whether there might or might not have been COBRA violations. Next, before drafting any COBRA language, step back and think about how the deal's supposed to work from a COBRA perspective. What I mean is that in any deal, there are four groups of individuals to think about from a COBRA perspective. Active employees who are affected by the deal. Number two, existing qualified beneficiaries under the seller's group health plan. Number three, potential qualified beneficiaries, meaning those who had a qualifying event before the deal but haven't yet made their COBRA elections. And four, qualified beneficiaries attributable to any of the seller's prior COBRA violations. I like to break the world of COBRA issues up into these four categories so I can make sure that all four have been addressed in my deal. Let's now talk about our transaction documents. What drafting issues should be considered from a COBRA angle? There are three key drafting issues to bear in mind. Number one, a basic due diligence request and representation that the seller has identified all group health plans subject to COBRA, that the existing qualified beneficiaries have been identified, and that there is documentation to review, and finally, that there are no outstanding or prior COBRA violations. Second, you need a provision that allocates COBRA liability among the parties. For example, the seller might be responsible for all qualifying events before the deal. The buyer might be responsible for all qualifying events after the deal. And depending on who is doing the drafting, somebody's going to have to be responsible for the qualifying events that occur on the date of the deal. Note here I said it's with regard to qualifying events. Sometimes people have drafted these documents and focused on who's responsible for qualified beneficiaries rather than qualifying events. Number three, consider indemnification language carefully. From a COBRA perspective, generally the seller should indemnify the buyer for prior COBRA violations, including notice violations as well as potentially operational violations. But this has to be considered in the overall deal context, and there's no hard and fast rule on how the indemnity should work, including any liability caps as a part of the transaction. Another practical item to consider is you might want to use COBRA as your friend meaning 
Suppose the buyer can't set up a plan right away after the deal. You might be able to structure it in a way where the seller will provide COBRA coverage for a limited period of time to the affected employees who are all going over to the buyer until the buyer can set up a plan of its own. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen in this area? Um, by and large, one of the biggest mistakes happens when people don't even think about how COBRA will work in the deal context. I've had to address several questions about how to fix problems when COBRA notices weren't provided in connection with an asset sale, for example. Usually this happens when there's an asset sale and the buyer is going to cover people in its plan right after the deal. The fact that employees get coverage after the deal in an asset sale does not really change the outcome from a COBRA perspective, however. The asset sale is still a qualifying event. Issues also arise in transactions that are less obviously treated as an M&A transaction. For example, when employers enter into joint venture arrangements, the COBRA rules can be tricky. And by applying principles similar to those in the COBRA regulations applicable to M&A transactions, the parties can work through it and come to a good resolution. However, often the issues are simply not adequately addressed. Thank you, Paul, for that helpful summary of the COBRA M&A rules. These are really helpful guidelines. And thank you to those who joined us today for this Employee Benefits Podcast. Please join us for future presentations in our Proskauer Benefits Brief Podcast Series. And keep an eye out for more employee benefits and executive compensation insights on our Proskauer ERISA Practice Center blog. Also, be sure to follow us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Spotify.